Well, hey there, everyone. This is Dave DeBow with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Brad, don't try to say that three times in a row quickly. It'll twist your tongue up, that's for sure. My special guest for today is Brad Smotherman. And Brad is a very experienced real estate entrepreneur. He's done over 400 transactions and focuses primarily on creating notes. And I know a lot of folks that are listening to this podcast or watching this podcast are Canadians and we're not 110% up to speed as much as the Americans on what notes are. So really looking forward to this, Brad, and seeing how we can apply what you've learned up here in Canada. Dave, it's great to be with you. So where are you calling in from today? I'm based out of Nashville, Tennessee, which is in the Southeast US. Yeah, 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 for sure. Got a lot of country, country Western fans up here, so we definitely know where Nashville is. Absolutely. Y'all come on down and, and listen to some country music. Sounds like you could be a country singer, man. You got you got you got the accent dialed right in there. That's for sure. Well, my family was in agriculture and farming, so I suppose it just kind of came along with the territory. Beautiful, beautiful. So, Brad, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into real estate investing? How you got into notes? It was kind of an odd thing. I woke up one day when I was seventeen years old and decided to get my real estate license, and I decided to do that the summer before college. So I went into college, did the college thing, got my degree, didn't know what to do with it, went into accounting for about 30 days and, and got my first check. And I, I thought, gosh, I've, I've just done so much better with selling real estate. And then the crash happened. So I went back into selling real estate, the crash happened. And what I saw was that there were many real estate agents that had done super well during the boom of 04, 05, and 06 that were going back into their offices and beginning to cold call. Now, there's nothing wrong with cold calling, but I didn't want to do that in my 50s and 60s. Mm -hmm. And so the people that I saw that were weathering the storm were people that had created cash flow. So that's what's kind of propelled me into, I've got to learn this investing thing so that I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. So there's a whole schwack of different ways to do that. How did you dial in or why did you dial in on notes? How did that come across your radar? Well, that, that's a great question. So the first thing that I did when I decided to be this big real estate investor guy was I went to the bank where I just got a mortgage for my first house. And I said, hey, Mr. Banker, I've made a few months payments. I'm going to be this real estate investing guy. I need you to, to provide some financing for me so that I can go out and buy houses. And he said, bro, Brad, you're 100% approved for your loan as long as you pay off the loan that you just took out with us, yeah. which didn't put me in a great position. So I had to find another way. And so, you know, people are, are generally, they know about the wholesaling model where you, you buy something under value and you sell the, the contract. I found a mentor who, what he would do is he would put a house under contract. He would market it with owner financing. And by doing that, we're able to create what we call wrap notes or second lien positions that are wrapped around to first. And so it was the only way that I could do the business at the time because this was 2010. The crash had happened. Nobody had equity, but we could still buy houses and people still needed owner financing. So it worked out pretty well. Okay. That's very, very cool. Now, if somebody's listening to this, they're going, holy smokes, that sounds interesting, but I have no clue of what you just explained. So I know we can't go into super in depth, but can you kind of give us the 30,000 foot perspective, grade two level explanation of what a wraparound note or wraparound mortgage is and how sure. Yeah, and, and I'll try to be as fast as I can. So there's only three ways to buy houses. You can pay cash, you can buy with terms, or you can do a combination of those two. So those are the, the three ways. The way that we do it in general, and there's always an exception, but in general, we're buying a house subject to a lien. 
So say there's a mortgage for $100,000. The people, the sellers, they just want out. So we're leaving that $100,000 lien position in place. And then I'll market the house with owner financing and sell it for probably 150. Would be like a, an average transaction for us. So at that point, I'd get maybe a, say a $20,000 down payment that goes to me. So I have some cash day one. I'll have a $30,000 lien position in second position behind that $100,000 first. So we're creating cash flow, monthly cash flow, and then we get a payoff in the future. So we have basically three profit centers in this model. We have the down payment, we have the monthly cash flow, and we have the payoff of that lien in the future. So just to make sure I understand it. So the new buyer of the house is making one payment to you on that wraparound mortgage. Correct. You are paying the bank on the primary mortgage. Is that correct? That's right. That's correct. Is, is the new owner even aware that there's a another underlying mortgage on the property? Oh, certainly. Yeah, we disclose everything. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So then in this case, basically you've created twenty thousand. So you bought you found a motivated seller. They owe yes. hundred grand on the house. That's about what it's uh, might be worth a little bit more, but they just want to get the heck out. They might be behind a few months on their payments. You're gonna bring it up to speed, get everything on track, you're gonna turn around offer this as owner financing. You're creating this wraparound mortgage. You're finding a buyer who's going to come in, have a down payment, maybe 20 grand. Bang, that goes in your pocket. You've now got a $130,000 note or mortgage, wraparound mortgage on this property. That gives you a $30,000 spread with correct on the bank. They're paying you, you're paying the bank. You're building up equity over time with the mortgage pay down, the load pay down on both loans, I guess. And then when they, how do they actually, how do they finalize this? Or how does, does this just kind of go on forever? Or do you, how does that typically work? And that's a great question. So I have this theory that balloons are for clowns. So we don't put balloons in our notes. And in the US, it's kind of standard to have a 30 year note. So yeah. we have fully amortized 30 year notes, but we put a rising interest rate on the loans that we want to pay off. Now, it's probably outside of the scope of this interview, but you will have notes that you never want to pay off. And then you have some that you want to pay off quicker, depending on what your yield is or return on equity on that note position. So the short answer is it finalizes when the owner of the house that is our borrower wants it to finalize. So they can sell the house, they can refinance us out at any point. There's no prepayment penalty, but we don't put balloons and say, well, you have to pay us off at this point because it's just going to create a position of default. We do not want these houses back. Yeah, I know for sure. And then I guess you also have the opportunity to turn around and sell the note if you wanted to. Is that correct? That's correct. And we do that some, but as much as we can, we want to hold the paper. Yeah, because again, you're you're all about long-term cash flow, right? You want, correct. you want to create, I mean, it's pretty brilliant because you're getting into these properties, there's no money down. You're creating equity out of, of thin air. You're, you're, you're solving somebody else's problem and you're making a good, a good profit in the middle. Very, Absolutely. Very so that's what you got to start with. If, you know, it's been a few years now and you've done a whole bunch of transactions and you've been working with people and coaching people about that, knowing what you know now, there's, is there anything that you would do differently if you were starting all over again? The first thing that I would do is I would create a negotiating platform. So one issue that I had whenever I started is like, I'm a one man show. I'm doing the marketing. I'm going to the appointments. I'm doing a little bit of rehab here on, on a few houses and you know, and that's fine. Everybody starts at the same place, having never bought investment property. But I would have, in order to alleviate the stress and the pressure of that appointment with that seller, 
I would have created a negotiating platform that allowed me to have a system to go from the front door to the equity position every single time. And that's one thing that I've done. What do you mean by that? I don't quite understand what you mean. Okay. So, you know, I would go to the front door and I would be nervous because at that point it was about how good Brad is. Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to say the exact same thing every single time in the same way so that it's no longer about me. It's about the process. Does that make sense? So, so, so it'd be about creating, uh, creating your presentation that's right. to property sellers. Is that correct? That's right. Because frankly, my first transaction that I did extremely well on, I don't even have the slightest idea how I got that under contract. I suppose that the seller said, well, Brad, if you want the equity position, here it is. Here's my purchase and sale agreement just signed here. I don't really know. I mean, it was just luck because I, I was terrible at what I did, you know? So, I mean, that's one thing that I would say. The second thing I would say is begin your marketing machine earlier. I was really cheap on my marketing side. I looked at marketing as an expense as opposed to an investment. And now I know that it's not. That's the one thing I can't spend money, too much money on is the marketing that's efficient. Yeah, yeah, especially. uh, Yeah, that's a big problem I see a lot of people having, right? They're so cheap and chintzy when it comes to trying to get the deals and they're too reliant on the ways everybody else is doing it. And there's all, you know, especially up here in Canada, everybody's surfing the MLS and hitting up realtors for deal. Well, that, that's not where the deals are. The deals are Correct. when you go out and beat the bushes and find motivated sellers yourself. By the time they get to a realtor, first of all, they're usually not motivated. Second of all, there's just, you can't really make a deal with a realtor in the way, right? So makes that's sense. Right. So what were you doing for marketing when you first got started? So whenever I first started, I was doing what we call bandit signs, which are the signs on the side of the road that look terrible. And they were very effective at the time because nobody had equity. People were getting foreclosed on. It's a terrible market. And here I have a sign that says, hey, I'll buy the house. Looking back, I would have bought a lot more had I known what the market was going to do. But, uh, you know, that hindsight's twenty twenty. That's where I started. Then I moved to direct mail. Once it got to where the, the signs really weren't working, I got to the point where I was sending out 70,000 letters a month. It was a lot of mail and that got inefficient. I mean, we were still buying transactions from it, but you know, it would, to put it in perspective, we were sending out 70,000 letters to create the same deal flow as 15,000 letters had created 24 to 36 months earlier. Wow. So the effectiveness of the direct mail and the markets that I was in just collapsed. So then I went to PPC, which is what I'm doing now, pay-per-click, Google AdWords, that kind of thing. And, and that's been really good for the past two to three years. And I guess you always have to be on your toes, right? Because things change. It's such... And it'll change again. Thing. Yeah. 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 It'll change again. I'm beginning to see that. Yeah. So it's the way life goes, I guess. Huh? Nothing that's ever stays the same for very long. Okay. So very, very good. And Brad, what, what are some of the biggest mistakes you see other people making, you know, in addition to the mistakes you made yourself, but are there any other mistakes you see newbies making when they're getting into trying to do what you're doing with, with creating notes? Well, it's such a niche thing. I don't really see a whole lot of people creating notes the way that we're doing it. One thing that I'll say is I lost years in the battle for mindset. So I was generally negative. I had a lack mentality. It was difficult for me to spend money on marketing. I was jealous whenever someone else had a transaction that I wish I had. And all of that comes down to rooted issues in myself versus anything with the exterior. Well, I mean, you and I both know it's not so much what happens, it's how we react to it at this point. So, yeah, I mean, what the, the game of real estate's played between the years. It's, it's very little externally because 
I mean, even if the market crashed like it did in, in 08, I know what to do now. Mm. And frankly, it would probably help my business. But, you know, at the end of the day, the one thing that I see a lot of people, they're just oblivious to the idea of you have to think about what you're thinking about. Because if you're not taking time out to be like, okay, like what's my thought process is here? Like what's the root cause of the way that I'm thinking? Then you're going to, in my opinion, most people make very bad decisions. Yeah, no, very, very good. So kudos to you for realizing that. What did you do to kind of turn that around? Did you go read a bunch of books? Did you get coaching? Did you get therapy? What what worked best for you, Brett? Yeah, so a few things. Number one, I want to to spend time with people that are going to bring me up. Yeah. So the problem that I think a lot of people have is, you know, we don't choose the family that we're born into, you know, and in my family, I had a, a lot of people that were negative. Well, Brad, you can't do real estate. That's just a scam and all this. Well, you know, I have some of those same people that won't talk to me now because they think I've been too successful or whatever, you know, which is fine either way. Right. So thinking about who you're around is, is something that I think is very important. Number two, I think just filling your mind with positive material, whether that's books, podcasts, you know, movies that are, are, you know, generally inspirational is something that I, I did for a long time, even to the point that I would fast from any kind of traditional music, you know, being from the country music city, there's some really sad songs that get put out there, man. It's like, you can't listen to the dog dying and the wife left and all of this. It's tough to listen to when you're trying to put a deal together. Yeah. So you know, at the end of the day, we have to, to be cognizant of what's around us right. and what we're allowing into our mind. All right. Very, very good suggestion. Yeah. I never thought of that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. You're, you're in the middle of musical negativity, right? That's what that's that's right. country music's built on. All right. <laughs> so, Brad, we're, we're just about running out of time here, my friend. I told you it's fun and it's fast. Sometimes sure. a little bit too fast. But before we wrap up, maybe you can give us a couple of suggestions. If somebody, you know, especially somebody up here in Canada is, is interested in exploring, creating notes, what would be some baby steps they could take to kind of get their feet wet? Yeah, so... I think it's two things. Number one, I think you need to find a mentor that has been down the road that you want to go. Okay. And the idea of that is if I hadn't had my mentor, I never would have accomplished what I've accomplished. They can take years off your learning curve. And not only that, but you're going to avoid a lot of the mistakes you would have made, which is just as important, if not more. The second thing is everything starts with a motivated seller. So if we're able to create motivated seller lead flow, then we can figure out what direction we want to take that, whether you want to be a rental guy or you want to be a note guy or you want to be the flip person or, or whatever that is, we have to have motivated sellers. So learn, learn how to lead generate. Right. Yeah. Very, very good, good advice. All right. So Brad, if people are interested in finding out more about you and what you do, I think you offer some coaching or some assistance for folks. How can they find out more about Brad's mother? Yeah, so I've got a, a podcast on iTunes, Investor Creator. We're generally a top 100 business iTunes. Also, I have a private Facebook group, the Investor Creator Community. So we're happy to have you there. Awesome. Very good. Brad, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Dave. Enjoyed it. All right. Take care, everyone. And we will see you on the next episode. Take care. Well, thanks very much for checking out the Property Profits podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, 
rate us and leave us a review. Be very, very much appreciated. And if you're looking to create a regular flow of inbound investor inquiries about your real estate deals, then I invite you to attend one of my upcoming live online demonstrations. And you can check that out at InvestorAttractionDemo.com. Take care.